welcome to Two Courageous Minds with me, Nancy. And me, Keisha. This is where we have vulnerable and candid conversations about mental health, relationships, and everything in between. So come join us as we help you embrace and navigate life by inspiring you to be mentally courageous. Hello, and welcome back to Two Courageous Minds. I'm Nancy. And I'm Keisha. On our podcast, we really want to be vulnerable with our listeners. So in today's episode, Keisha will be sharing her mental health journey. I don't really know a lot about your story. I feel like I know bits and pieces of it, but I i mean, we've been friends for so long and I feel like your story began so long ago. Yeah, and it's really true because uh, I guess that's the thing when you're friends for so long, you've been a part of the story, not necessarily an outsider looking in. So right. you probably know more than you think. Yeah, I'm just super excited to hear your side of your mental health story. And obviously, I have a million questions <laughs> to ask you, but <laughs> I'm going to start off with, you know, the basic question, which is, when did you notice or when did you first notice that your mental health was deteriorating? And when did it sort of begin? Yeah, I'd have to say that I first noticed tendencies towards depressive episodes when I was in Probably the seventh or eighth grade. Wow, it's really early. Yeah, about 20 years ago, (laughs) give or take. But around that time, my parents were going through a divorce. And I'm definitely the feeler in my immediate family. So I think at the time, I internalized all the tensions and breakdowns in communication and designated myself as the person who keeps everything and everyone together. And I just remember one time after a misunderstanding, which caused a lot of tension, I just hibernated in my room. I was in the dark and it was, I think, an entire March break. And it just felt like my whole body shut down. I felt lost. I felt hopeless. Yeah. And I just really couldn't get up and get anything done. So I think different conversations with my parents and my brother, as well as just returning to school and my friends after the break is what brought me out of that episode like back then I wouldn't have just I, I I wouldn't have been able to stay home from school because I felt depressed quote unquote like it's it wasn't mm-hmm. a thing back then so um, I just kind of snapped out of it but since then I've definitely become more sensitive to other people's words and their silences due to that episode but again I've only made this connection rather recently that that might have been even a sign of depression or anything like that. So uh, that's still definitely something to be explored. Since then, my teenage years were more or less fine. I've been the bookworm. I'm talkative among my friends. Otherwise, Mm -hmm. just went to university, followed the path, did all the quote unquote normal stuff. But I'd have to say that my true struggle with anxiety and depression started in 2014. In 2014, I got engaged after I'd been maybe dating my boyfriend at the time for about a year. And I also started a new career. There were a lot of factors and a lot of pressures at play that probably should have caused me to change course a couple of different times. But I was young and naive and a people pleaser. Uh And so over the following two years, I planned our wedding I got into a car accident. I learned of infidelity, which I kept to myself for quite a while. I ended up calling off a wedding 10 days right before the wedding, and I blamed it on the accident just for the sake of saving face. And Mm -hmm. um, for the first time ever in my life, I sought out professional help for my mental health. 
there was another private matter that was going on with my partner. I guess you could say I felt obligated to try to make things work just because of the time that had already been invested in the relationship. And as I said before, I was a softie and a people pleaser. When my work benefits ran out for my psychologist, I couldn't afford to keep going. So I stopped my treatment. And after some time, I eventually recommitted to the relationship and that actually followed through with getting married. So that was in 2016. And I gave birth to a beautiful baby boy in 2017. Yes, he's so cute. (laughs) Yeah, but it wasn't a fairy tale ending. The relationship had issues. And now that I was caring for a little one, it seemed like my eyes were wide open. And I guess I became unwilling to tolerate anything less than an equal partnership. Some of my strongest friendships started crumbling, or at least it felt that way. And it was possibly just because from the outside looking in, I seemed to be prioritizing someone who did not value me as they should. But really on the inside looking out, I was fighting to honor a commitment I made, a mistake that I had put time and energy into making. So we tend to hold on to our mistakes because we've invested so much in them rather than moving forward. So we had moved in with my dad while I was pregnant because it was most convenient for space and my partner's commute to work. But that Mm -hmm. also meant my mom wasn't able to come to visit or to help. So I lived in a house with three males and a newborn. (laughs) Suffice to say, I wasn't getting very much help. I was Mm -hmm. probably embarrassed to ask for help. If I was going to visit my mom, I was the one who was driving out of our partnership. So newborn getting into a car, I just kept doing what I could. But by fall of 2018, I came off of maternity leave and my branch was under new management, but not for the better. And an encounter that turned hostile between myself and my branch manager, it kind of rocked my already fragile mental state. And I ended up going on stress leave from work after maybe a month or so from returning I ended up being off for a little more than a year, and in that time, I started visiting my psychologist again regularly. I started trying various medications for anxiety and then as well as depression because it became apparent to my doctor that I was struggling with that as well. So once the the medication started taking effect on the anxiety, depression started to rear its head a little bit. And to be able to find and use the most effective medication for me, I also had to wean my son off of breastfeeding. So there was a lot of emotional turmoil. Also, there's a stigma around taking medication for for mental health issues. So Mm -hmm. just a lot going on and definitely probably approached it like a bit of a... I guess past quarter life, maybe midlife crisis. I don't know. And I went and got a tattoo as well. So there's a what? lot going on. You know my tattoo. I don't my remember elephants. it. Oh, okay. no, we'll, I don't we'll, think we'll I remember it. Okay, we'll have to time. talk about that <laughs> off the episode. But, but. <laughs> off, off air. Sorry, yes. podcasters. You can't, you can't see. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, so at that point, I was put on a wait list for a psychiatrist because contrary to a, a psychologist, psychiatrists don't do talk therapy, right? They would be specialized in managing my medication based on my symptoms. Mm -hmm. So kind of like we discussed in your episode, and because the wait list is pretty long. In the meantime, I started seeing a nurse practitioner, and that's someone who's also licensed to manage my meds. And it was supposed to be a temporary thing, kind of bridging the gap between what my doctor had prescribed and when I would see the psychiatrist. So she did a little bit of talk therapy as well, just going through my situations and my stresses 
and was instrumental in pointing me towards some very valuable resources for managing and recovering from mental distress. One of those programs is called Bounce Back. It's actually offered for free through the government. So um, that was very helpful. And I was also enrolled in the local hospital's programming for outpatient mental health. That meant I took parts in programs such as mindfulness classes and art therapy. They also have CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, and I was looking into that, but then COVID struck. So I, in that time, also became much closer with a childhood friend who was also off of work and dealing with her own health issues uh, during that time. So we started doing a few extracurricular activities at the gym together, and uh, I feel like we really helped to keep each other grounded. So I got closer to a lot of, of my cousins home and abroad, and they really helped to open my eyes to different perspectives on relationships and balance in those relationships and coping as well. And I also had work benefit administrators that were very active in my time off. Uh, sometimes it was very stressful how active they were, but I was also really lucky to be paired with a really wonderful rehabilitation consultant who took an interest in my well-being and really facilitating a safe return to work. Uh, she set up plans to help me have the time to get the treatment I needed, which included work with an occupational therapist. And that occupational therapist worked hand in hand with my psychologist as well to make sure that I was getting a full range of services, not repetitive therapy. I, I saw a kinesiologist in there somewhere. I saw a vocational rehabilitation consultant because at one point I was like, I'm not going back to work. I'm doing something else. So we did right. that and then I changed my mind. <laughs> but finally, uh, she she helped plan the meeting and, and seeing my manager with me when we were setting up and monitoring a gradual return to work plan. So this was important because there was now another new manager at the branch and uh, it was really helpful to have someone who knew my story be there to help advocate for me and make sure that I was getting getting the support that I really needed. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when they say it takes a village, you really have to believe it because yep. as I've noticed, like in my discussions with you, Nancy, I was and still am apparently guarded a little bit and perhaps embarrassed a little when it comes to sharing my story. But this arsenal of professionals and key family and key friends who supported me and checked in on me, even when they didn't know all of the details or didn't fully understand what I was going through, that's definitely what pulled me through. And, and you and some of our other close circle of friends are definitely a part of that group. So yeah, in in summary, the, the start and gradual deterioration of a relationship, the start of a new career large personal commitments and financial responsibilities and uh, a new baby and just changing friendships and relationships definitely would be the situations and circumstances contributing to my journey with mental health. But without them, I wouldn't be who I am today. By the time I returned to work full time in fall 2019, I was a newly single mom who has been very lucky to get help and support from both of my parents, uh, my brother, and close family friends. Since then, I've definitely become more self-aware and much more aware of how unself-aware <laughs> people yes. who do not struggle with mental illness are, right? So courtesy of all the programming that I've been through and the professionals I've seen, I've definitely built an arsenal 
of tools to help me live day to day at a healthier quality of life. I I still have a long way to go, but I, you know, it's a work in progress. Yeah, your journey started since you were so young. And I think a lot of children who have their parents going through a divorce struggle mentally and and it's hard for them. I've obviously never experienced that. I can only imagine as a child, you know, who do you talk to at that point? And, mm-hmm. you know, where are the resources that you can tap into to understand that, hey, I'm I think something's not right about myself mentally. Yeah. And it's it's interesting that you bring that up because it's I've only really even remembered that episode like recently in recent years at the time, though. I don't ever remember going, oh, my gosh, I need help. What do I do? Uh-huh. Uh, who do I talk to? I never really went through that. You know what I mean? At the time, I just did whatever I felt I needed to do. Like, it was very much like a private matter. It wasn't something that I, I don't ever remember saying to a friend, like, oh, I'm struggling because I don't think I ever, like, truly struggled. You know, there would be yeah. different situations, which I think were stressful if if there was a breakdown in communication but I mm-hmm. like I was a happy kid you know what I mean I yeah. just I think I remember that was the first time I wasn't sure how to deal and my emotions were just like like it, they just kind of wiped out my body and I just crashed kind of thing right, right. so that I that's why I say I think that was the first indicator that I had tendencies towards depressive behavior mm-hmm. but I I would be not lying but I think I'd be stretching it if I said that I was depressed from when I was a kid (laughs) you know what I mean so I do remember though that there were let's see seventh eighth grade it's kind of strange at our elementary school there were a lot of there was a year I think it was the sixth grade where we had students come from like they were rezoning in 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 um in our area I was growing up yeah yeah and and students that were going to be going on to a new school got split up to different schools and and that's where I guess I got exposed to a lot more people with different backgrounds it seemed like everyone that went to my school had the same like family still together all a whole kind of thing but when this influx of students came there were students with different backgrounds there was much more variety culturally people who had single parent households who were going through the same things so Definitely connections, and I didn't think I was alone. But then by the time I got into high school, again, more more people who were in similar situations. And again, it's not like we sat and discussed it. It's just it was knowledge that we shared that background. And then sometimes, you know, if if things were breaking down, like we might all just be hanging out in a community center together, not necessarily talking about the issue, but just like solidarity and company, I guess, kind of things. Right. But for now, like nowadays, if someone were struggling with that or if you are the parents going through a divorce and it's like, what do I do for my kid? The I guess the best or biggest thing would be to be open with them about the situation, but it's really a matter of both parents being aware of how they affect their children mentally. Yeah. You know, and collaborating together Um, and co-parenting, right? That's right. Or at the very least, not putting the child in the middle of what's going on, right? Not, not letting them feel like they're responsible. It's one thing if you're not making them responsible for the communication back and forth 
between the parents, but Mm -hmm. making sure they don't feel like they're responsible for that communication back and forth. Right. Right. Telling them, don't worry, like I'll speak to your mom or I'll speak to your dad and we'll get this sorted out and letting your child be a child, I guess, is the end of it. So a lot of this, like I said, I think I put on myself as that intense feeler, but had someone said, you know, you don't need to worry about this, which I think I I do remember my mom saying that probably after this whole episode, like, you don't right. have to worry. My older brother seems to be seemed to be immune to everything. And I do remember <laughs> having conversations with him. And then he's like, it's good. It's going to work itself out. You don't have to do anything. Yeah. But uh, so, yeah, I think just being conscious of making sure your kids don't feel that burden of breakdown in communication between you and your partner is Mm -hmm. ideal so that's something I'm gonna you know going through my separation I'm going to have to learn that with my child but he's a lot younger so yeah it's definitely different yeah yeah and obviously you had talked about depression and anxiety so you know I have the experience with anxiety myself but I've never Mm -hmm. been depressed So I'm just curious, and obviously this is an education for me and a learning for me, but curious to know what does it feel like or like what is the definition of being depressed? The best way I could characterize being depressed is you know there are things that you need to do, but like you literally can't make your body get up and do them. And it's, I had to kind of, put a disclaimer on it that depression with anxiety is very different than like anxiety alone or depression alone. Anxiety makes my mind go over and over all these different things and worries, right? Essentially it's, it's worrying about things and worrying way too much about things to the point where it's affecting you physically. It could be work related. It could be how it's usually for me, it's how to solve things. But depression now steps in and says, yes, I know that you're worrying about this, but uh, we don't have the energy to deal with that today, right? So even though I want to fix it, all of that thinking and pondering and ruminating makes me so tired that I'm like, oh, I can't do anything today. I think I'll just take a nap. And that's the depression that's speaking. Depression mind is... Oh, I'm so tired, so therefore let me take a nap so that I can have the energy I need later. But as I've learned through a lot of my counseling, <laughs> sleep begets sleep, right? The more that you say, I need to sleep so that I have energy, the more you're going to want to sleep. Uh, versus when you're tired, you have to challenge that with getting up and being active. But that's easier said than done because depression just wants you to keep feeding into that, just being stationary, not doing too much. So depression is definitely that, like, I can't fix this. I don't know what I'm going to do. Everything's terrible. Woe is me kind of feeling. And it's, it's really, really hard, right? And especially with anxiety, it's just compounded. It's not just that sitting there and feeling poorly, but anxiety is like you're actively worrying about so many things and depression is just preventing you from doing anything about it. So definitely very difficult. And especially with a support system that seems to be faltering, right? If, if you know, with my partner not necessarily being emotionally available and because I've been investing so much, uh, I've distanced myself now from relationships that have always kept me grounded. I have a new baby. I'm at home. 
my dad, my brother, uh, my mom's not able to come and go as she pleases. I would be the one who would have to drive to her if I need things. So it was just very like everything is bad is kind of how I felt. Right. So I that's how I can describe depression. Right. It's it's very just lack of energy, lack of motivation, lack of willpower and hard to get yourself out of that deep, deep cave. It's like you think of falling down a sewer and there's no ladder. <laughs> like right. it's just very, or down a well, right? It's just like, how do I get out of here? And not even necessarily having the ability or feeling too embarrassed to even call out for help so someone can just throw down a ladder. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. And does your anxiety ever trigger your depression or does your depression ever trigger your anxiety? Or are they kind of two separate entities? No, for sure. They're definitely intertwined. I'd have to say, yeah, they, it does go both ways. Probably more anxiety triggering depression. So if I have a stressful situation, right, at let's say at work, prime example, mm-hmm. something happens and I start to feel anxious about it because now I'm worrying about it and I'm thinking, how do I fix this? Right. What can I do? But if I maybe don't feel like speaking up or I'm worried that speaking up may lead to some kind of consequence, now it's like, oh, well, I can't do anything, right? Or, you know, it might get into the cycle of maybe I just need a new job. And it's like, well, yeah, I can apply for jobs, but I'm not hearing back and I can only do so much to get a new job. So now it's just like, I guess I'm going to be stuck like this for a while. So it's, it's very hard to navigate when that happens. In terms of depression triggering anxiety, I guess it's more of a like when I'm not doing as much as I need to, like if I'm just tired or drained, maybe even from a week of of difficult things and I just want to rest. I just want to take a nap or just sit down, watch a movie, something that people do normally, but then I'm I'm sitting there and because I'm not doing anything, anxiety kicks up like, hey, there are all these things that you want to do. Why don't you use your time to do this instead and and then do that and then do that? But it's like, oh, I don't have enough time to do this or I just want a minute to myself. Oh, but if you take a minute to yourself now and then son wakes up from his nap, now you're not going to be able to. So then the anxiety starts mm-hmm. to kick in. So definitely they interact with each other and probably never thought about the depression kicking in the anxiety until right this moment. <laughs> it's usually the anxiety that kicks in yeah. the depression, but Yeah, they really do play into each other a lot. And that's why I said, um, even in my story initially, because I had a panic attack after the situation with my with my new boss and I called my doctor and I I went in and she's like, yep, this is anxiety. So the first thing she did was give me a medication for anxiety um, Mm -hmm. and just, you know, start to talk me through it, all kinds of things. And it's only maybe like I, after I was off of work for a bit and she's like, how are you doing? And I'm like, it's, you know, just it, I'm I'm tired. I was always tired. Everything was I'm tired. Mm-hmm. And the more and more she kind of said, well, what are you, are you going for a walk? Are you going to the gym? I don't have enough energy to do that. I'm tired. So now the anxiety had subsided. I was less like panicky and worked up. And right. that's when she's like, OK, there's some depression that's lying under here. We have to take a look at that, too. And first set of medications like and that's the thing medication is trial and error as well so one medication that works for me might not work for you and there are so many out there so it was like I was on one set of medication and 
the time frame for us to know if it's effective or not could be like four to six weeks, right? And, or I think they usually say you'll start to see an effect after maybe two weeks or something like that. Don't take anything I say. I'm not a medical professional, right? <laughs> but this is what I, I learned for myself. And after like two weeks, are you feeling any difference? And it's like, no. So now you have to try another one. And then if that one doesn't work again after two weeks, another one. So it's very hard to stay patient too, because you also have case managers from work calling you and pretty much trying to say you should be ready to go back to work now. Mm -hmm. And you haven't A, found the medication that works or even gotten in to talk to an actual psychologist who, uh, or sorry, psychiatrist who is the right professional to do this. So definitely a stressful set up to to have both anxiety and depression because now you're trying to find medications that don't interact with each other but that tackle both symptoms. A lot of medications that deal with anxiety could heighten your depression because it's trying to subdue those anxious worrying thoughts and once you start getting into subduing you're depressing right so it's it's very very tricky it's a very fine balance and like you having the right medical professionals to monitor becomes very important yeah yeah Yeah. exactly to monitor make sure things are going well to follow up i can't imagine if i had to go through this now during covid and just with getting into see medical professionals so really if anyone is struggling with it right now hats off to you for being here for another day and as much as it's difficult, like just, you have to keep going. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, everyone says it will get better, but you just you it it is a process. Don't think you're the only one who has to go mm-hmm. through that process. There's no magic. This person with these characteristics will therefore be good with this medication. They don't work like that, right? So yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think, yeah, it's so important, especially right now. Everybody's mental health is taking a toll, right? And I think, uh, to your point, you're not alone in the journey. So many people share the same experiences. And as we continue to talk about mental health, hopefully that will help um, our listeners who are struggling to kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel. Mm-hmm, for sure. I definitely hope so, because there is light. Don't worry, no tunnels are forever. <laughs> yeah, of course. You know, I'm just, again, I just have so many questions because uh, I've never experienced depression. And what's funny is, I wouldn't say it's funny, but I remember when I sort of realized that you were struggling with depression. I think I I said something to you the one day when you just felt like you were blah. And I said, you know, just cheer up. Like, it's going to be fine. And I think you told me it's something along the lines of, and I can't remember, but it was just essentially telling me like you can't really get out of that state like it's not like just a matter Mm -hmm. of snapping my fingers and I'm feeling better and after that conversation it really hit me because I was like that's so true because you can't just tell someone who's depressed to like cheer up you know that's I think that's like one thing you probably don't want to hear right when you're (laughs) in that state of mind is like Well, it's not like I don't want to cheer up. It's just like I can't. So you telling me to cheer up doesn't help the situation. Right. And luckily for me, because I've spent all of my life being the person who's the feeler, like I said, but feeling for other people, 
those kind of things never hurt because it was like I know that the that the person saying it is genuinely trying to figure out how to help me feel better. I know for some people it can be triggering for sure to say just cheer up because it's like well yeah if I could I would have done that a few days ago thank yeah. you <laughs> for letting me know yeah. <laughs> but it's I think as much as people say oh these are the things that people who are depressed don't want to hear people who are depressed also know that you're trying to help right if anything mm-hmm. they might say oh my gosh no one understands but they're not going to necessarily be mad I would say at you saying just cheer up or, or you know I'll speak for myself I know sometimes like if certain people say it depending on the context it's like it, it can come off as a little insensitive because it's like instead of saying cheer up which could be equated to get over it it's like talk to me about it or but that's the thing you've also always done that you know you've also said you might say cheer up but you're like can I help with anything? Do you want to talk about it? You know what I mean? So all of those things together add up to people caring for you. And I guess if you are someone who's depressed, I want you to remember that, right? When people are saying things that seem dismissive or almost insensitive, you have to also evaluate the context and what else they do. Are they saying that and then and then not talking to you for another few days Or are they saying that, but continuously asking you how you're feeling or trying to make small talk with you? Because a lot of people just don't know what to do. And like you said, like at that point, you might have realized I was I was struggling and you probably shifted your approach or probably tried to figure out something else to do. I don't don't remember. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) But it wasn't like you just said that and then went, "Okay, great. I told Keisha to cheer up. She should be better now. (laughs) <laughs> you know, so I hope I definitely you have to no. <laughs> so definitely you have to look at the person, right? If this is someone who has been there for you forever, to get offended once they finally say once they say something like that, you want to take context into consideration too. Know that we're not professionals. We're all humans walking this earth just trying to do our best. Uh, so you talk a lot about, and I guess we'll go back to your story a bit. You talk about relationships and obviously with Mm -hmm. your partner and how that sort of went down the hill, I guess. Mm -hmm. What have you sort of learned about, I mean, I feel like a big part of your anxiety and depression came about with relationships that Mm -hmm. sort of, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say failed, failed, but like it just kind of veered. (laughs) Okay, it failed. But what have you sort of learned along the way with relationships and and your mental health? I've learned that it's very tricky when, well, first of all, any two people dealing with each other, whether it's a relationship, a friendship, it's always going to be tricky, right? But when you're in a relationship and perhaps what will become a serious like for the rest of your life hopefully relationship the dynamics are are very different because everything matters now there is it's yes how you speak with each other how you communicate physically all of that but then there's also financial and there's just support and it's like this I I have to say as far as I know again I'm not an expert on anyone else's circumstances but was a very unique situation there were lots of of things at play and a lot of things that either caused doubt or like looking back I should have questioned you know what I mean Mm -hmm. in terms of how this 
I guess, affects how I would approach relationships in the future. Trusting your gut a lot more, right? Because when you look back or when I look back, there were a lot of signals that mm, perhaps we weren't the right fit for each other. But again, other pressing situations, you start to feel a bit more obligated. And an obligation, I feel like, shouldn't be a factor in a relationship, Mm -hmm. you know, because obligation has that underlying connotation that it's something you're doing but you don't want to do as opposed to commitment it's like this is something I said I'm going to do and I follow through on what I say so obligation like like how will it look if I don't follow through on my word or oh but I said I did I'll do this and I'll be letting someone down if I don't those kind of things if you're if you're having those thoughts it's probably something you shouldn't do and again like Everyone is human, but there's manipulation that honestly, I, I can't say if my partner was aware that they were doing it on mm-hmm. the, the the naive person in me will say, oh, I don't even think they realize they did it. Yeah. But as I say that out loud, I realize how naive that sounds. <laughs> so um, in that sense, and, and like I said, to this day, I'm I'm still recovering. So I have to check my thoughts every single day. But yeah, giving people the benefit of the doubt, I have to do less of that, unfortunately. And it's not so much a bad thing. It's just holding people accountable, right? If if someone says something that rubs you the wrong way, it's not always your job to resolve that within yourself and be like, oh, they probably meant this or didn't mean it. Mm-hmm. I know We're that human feeling. and yeah. yeah, and you people have to be held accountable for their actions. So if you didn't understand or appreciate what someone said instead of saying oh they must have meant this you have to determine if you can approach them about it and make them explain what they meant or if if they're not willing to explain like you have to assess the whole situation is this a little thing that you should be able to let go is this a little thing that's part of a larger pattern of little things or is this a big thing that no like if if it can't be resolved with to people communicating as adults, maybe this isn't where you should be. So something that's been difficult for me is that whole thought of if I were to go back in time, if I were in that situation again, would I make the same choices over again? I have struggled immensely because I, and I've said this to you before, I'm pretty sure. And you're like, he, she can't think like that. But it's like, if I were to go back and t- the answer is no. Okay. If yeah, I were to go no. back to the beginning of time, <laughs> knowing what I know now, no, I wouldn't go through with, with all the things I went through in this relationship, you know, but something that, that I, that I, I always used to think about is that means I'm saying no to my child because I can't create the same child with a different person. <laughs> so point. if I say yeah. no to the relationship, that's like me saying no to my child. And it's kind of like, well, I love my kid so much. Like he is the one good thing that came out of that relationship. How can I say I wouldn't do it all over again if it means having my kid? Yeah. And it's like you have to realize you're merging two realities. You're merging the reality of your child being here now and the fact that you have no way of knowing that this child would be here way back when, when this was all happening. So you can't, it's one or the other. If you go back in time, you don't have knowledge of the future, but you have knowledge of the lessons, right? So if I were to go back in time, 
I would know that sticking through a relationship where there's lack of communication, lack of trust, lying, cheating, that is not good. So if I were to be told at the beginning of the relationship, if you stay here, this is what will happen. The answer is no. You can't say, oh, but what about your kid? Will you do it for your kid? That's not an option. That's not part of the conversation. That is not the issue at hand. That's not what we get to choose. So that has been, it's still hard. Like you still struggle with it because you, this little voice in your brain, like anxiety, like poking your buttons Mm -hmm. goes, but what if you did know? (laughs) What if you did know that your child would be at the end of that tunnel? Would you still go through it? So that little, um, like if you think of the angel and the devil on each shoulder, that is the devil. (laughs) Like saying to like poking your buttons, don't listen to them because that's not the matter at hand. The, the, The reality of the matter is also we can't go back in time. Thank goodness he is what came out of it and just move forward. You know what I mean? No going back in time. Just look at the lessons that you've learned from it. And like, I can tell you if I were to start a relationship and I saw some of those signs, no, thank you. We would not be going forward. So (laughs) it's taken a toll on how you, how I relate to people a lot and just holding people accountable for their, their actions or their inactions. And also taught me a lot about learning when enough is enough. So definitely took me longer than most (laughs) to finally be like, no, this is enough. And one thing that I can say I did the whole time was to take stock of if I did this, how would I feel? Or if I didn't do this, how would I feel? So even though it took me longer than most or longer than I would even recommend for people to sort out if they wanted to stay in a relationship, if I said, okay, you know what, if I commit to trying to work on this, at least I'll know that I gave it a fair shot. I did what I wanted to do. And if it still doesn't work, I can say I tried everything as opposed to saying, no, you know what, I'm done. And then having regrets about not giving it one last try or whatever the case is. So I went to the point that I felt comfortable that I had done everything I could to either save the relationship or make it work. And that was really important for me. And and luckily, because I'm the overthinker and the planner and Again, also because I had friends and cousins and parents and psychologists to talk these things through with. I, even though I was doubting myself, I was able to say, like, I remember literally saying to my psychologist, I know I should probably stop right now, but I feel like I have to do this one last thing because that's the kind of person I am or because there's a kid involved or for whatever reason I had. But it's like, I know this could go badly. I can accept that. (laughs) You know, I know that this could turn out being another like, because at this point, all I was wasting was time. I had already done things financially that would take me years to recover from. Right. At this point, it's it's time and emotions that I had to decide if I was willing to continue investing or not. So and then, of course, eventually came to a point where I'm like, no, I'm not willing to invest any more time, any more emotions And uh, depending on the type of person you're with, that might be when they say, oh, I'm willing to try this. Oh, I'm willing to do this. Like anything that it takes to save the relationship, you stick to your timeline. (laughs) You guys can't see my face right now, but you stick to your (laughs) timeline and what you set out for yourself. If someone is now agreeing to cooperate when they realize you're serious about walking away, 
that's an, that's saying another thing as well. So make your timeline, make your plan. You you do your job of keeping them informed of that plan throughout and trying to get them involved as you see fit. And if they only now decide to do that when you're done, you you take that as as you see fit. But just keep Keisha's voice in the back of your head like that that I will be the angel in that situation <laughs> on the on the right shoulder yes, saying remember be. what I said so yeah <laughs> another question I, I guess I have for you is do you still feel that sense of being guarded because I know you talked about being guarded a lot and not being able to open up do you still feel that now or is that something you feel like you've kind of overcome that's a really good question honestly a lot of that feeling guarded, I realized was part of the relationship as well, because there are things that aren't my story to tell. You know what I mean? Or they are because I was part of it. But I guess out of respect for that person's privacy, that's something I that's territory I don't want to cross into. Right. So I guess Mm -hmm. I realized like and again, like you think about it, we're in 2021 right now. And this relation started relationship started in 2013 what is that, eight years, right? So for the better part of my life, I actually was keeping a lot of stuff super secretive about the relationship. And it was such a big part of the relationship too. And it's probably what influenced me to make certain decisions I make, to, to commit to mistakes I had made, right? Because it was such a big thing. And that led me to, I think, being guarded because I always felt like I had to be careful of what I said to this person, be careful of what I said to that person mm-hmm. because of how it could affect someone else's life, not mine. Yeah. Right. And it wasn't. And I mean, people are going to be able to fill in the gaps, which is fine. I just get out of respect for privacy. I, I don't want to get into the specifics, but it wasn't until we were married and actually had my son and then went through with dealing with something that had been looming again since 2013 because my partner was honest with me. So I knew about it from the beginning. And at first I was like, yeah, of course, like I'm in this for the long haul. And then as things started to go downhill, it's like I committed to this thing, but like you and I aren't working, but I committed to that thing. Right. And I'm a kind of person who I am true to my word. So like uh, actually one of my best friends, she said, and I will never forget that I am loyal to a fault. <laughs> right. So oh, uh, I said I will do it. it. Yeah. I said I would do it and I will go down in flames trying to do it even when it's at my own demise. And that's something that this relationship taught me to stop doing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that that's where I think a lot of the gardenness came from that many years, 2013 to 2019, trying not to pretty much upend someone's life and because a lot of that I think played into my mental health like right now it's not so much guarded as just what are the right words to say so I can still convey the message tell my story without being at war (laughs) with someone else so it's like I would love to just like put it all out there but unfortunately everyone's different and even if I think I tried to have a conversation with my partner I don't think he would be comfortable with me giving all the details so mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, it's it's a different type of guarded before it felt heavy, right? Because it's like, I felt like I didn't have the right to talk to anyone about myself because I was so intertwined in this situation 
versus now, it's like, yeah, that's my story. I can choose if I want to say it or not. Who knows? In a different episode, I might talk about the the thing. Like, it's like yeah, this big, like, elephant <laughs> sitting beside me yeah. in the room. But again, if I were to talk about that specific thing in detail, it would be from a standpoint of helping, not not to any kind of blame or anything like that because a lot of people deal with this but yeah it's it's I I have felt that guard coming down again like I think I said to you a different time I I guess I haven't shared the details of my story with a lot of people but I've shared the lessons I've learned because of it with other people right Mm -hmm. so although I might not have told people oh I went through this or I had this situation with my partner or with my friend or what have you if I see someone struggling, I might say, I've been somewhere like that before and this really helped me or like try to think of it like this. So I've, 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 where I felt like I've shared a lot, I'm realizing I've shared it, I guess, in as much as a productive way as possible. Instead of retelling a story, I've tried to help, to share to help. So I, I don't know. I can only hope that people hearing the story helps. I never, thought of it that way I guess and I think it's a better way than telling people what to do right it's just letting them hear the story and choose for themselves if anything could apply to them or feel like they're not alone yeah and I get that we want to respect the people when we do share our stories and you know we try to be as vulnerable and as candid as we can on our podcast but when there are different parties at play, we we don't want to out these people because we're not trying to start wars with these people. Yeah. You know, they're just part of our journey and our and uh, our story. And uh, yeah, so we just want to convey as much information as we can without affecting. And these it's people. kind of funny too because, like, as we're sitting here talking, I'm realizing that that whole me not wanting to share is it's it's falling into old habits. It's falling into old habits of protecting other people oh yeah right you always want to protect ourselves right yeah but see but that's the thing it's not even me protecting myself because me talking about this thing really it won't actually hurt anyone myself or someone else but it's just oh would they want that or how would Mm -hmm. they feel or how would they react that's that old about the other person that's right that's that old habit of of being sensitive to people's inactions or actions yeah so like literally as we're sitting here talking about it, I'm like, but why? But why not? You know what I mean? It's not yeah. going to hurt anyone to share it. So uh, again, like literally you guys are seeing it in action. This is a journey. And like it literally, like I I every day have to challenge thoughts like that is the anxiety, I guess, overthinking how people will react to certain things and, and what you need and worrying over it unnecessarily but like you have to challenge the thought so uh, i think you guys might i might share a bit more than than, yeah. than we all bargained for <laughs> as we go uh, i'm sure you know our listeners would be very excited to hear about yeah. it but uh just going back onto your your mental health journey i know uh in the earlier parts of the episode you had touched on you're still going through and all that but as of right now how do you feel with your anxiety and your depression hmm I do think that everything I've gone through has brought me to where I am, which is really good because not like I'm not someone to brag or toot my own horn, but it's just so happened. I think people who deal with mental health are like magnets and we attract other people who are dealing with mental health. And there have been quite a few people that because of my own experience, I've been able to assist in some way, shape or form. So that 
really makes me feel good. It may, like it myself? A, yeah. You know, it you're mean, like, assisting me. <laughs> <laughs> it brings, it, I guess it brings a sense of purpose. Like when, when people say that everything happens for a reason, I wouldn't necessarily say that to someone as they're going through it because it's like, well, whatever. The, and I've said it to you before. I'm like, whatever the reason for this is, it's crap. Yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> but at the end of it, looking backwards, you're like, wow, okay, yeah. this is what I was meant to learn, right? Mm-hmm. So I'd say that, like I said earlier, because with all the programming that I've been through and the professionals I've seen, I have a toolkit of ways to help me live healthier, to actually be living life instead of just having a life that's doing its own thing. Yeah. Um, but I still have a long way to go. But definitely when looking at the curve, I'd say I'm on the upslope. I'm not like that's good at the top, but on the upslope. And yeah, I'd say that I'm in recovery from I guess mental illness but it's it's an ongoing kind of lifelong thing I there are courses that I'm taking there are different things that I'm interested in seeing and doing and I would have never been in this spot had I not gone through uh all that I've been through so again the answer like would I do this again no 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 we're always saying no okay (laughs) but (laughs) since I have gone through it it's brought me to a place where I'm I'm happy to be, but there are still more changes to be made. You still fall into old patterns of thought, as you yep. guys all saw literally right here. And it takes consistent work, right? So, yeah, you just, at the end of the day, you're the only person that you have. If you don't make a conscious effort to be well, like it, you can't expect anyone else to, right? And it'll be that much harder for someone else to. So yeah, it's just about kind of not giving up and knowing that it could take a while and trial and error, but there, there is light at the end of the tunnel, but it's you who has to get it going. Yeah, it's so true. Like you, you are the one that as much as people can help you at the end of the day, you have to motivate yourself to to get there and be at a better place right that's right right because it's things like I've had conversations with people some people and again it depends on what I guess era you come from but people who aren't comfortable talking to psychologists or it's Mm -hmm. like oh I'm starting to see a therapist it's like that's great are you telling your therapist everything or are you giving them parts of the story yeah right because can they truly help you if they don't know like the worst that can happen if you share your whole story is now this person knows your story. But the worst that could happen if you don't share it is can they truly help you? Even though you're the one who's lived it and you might feel embarrassed sharing it, you have no idea what giving someone that tidbit of information, what that might unlock for them or what that might reveal to them to be able to help you. So it's just, yeah, like where I am now, it's like I I guess get to kind of have this sort of experience where it's like I leave my body and look down at myself and it's like <laughs> like I see where I've come and like what's happening and just I guess a lot of clarity I guess you could say is 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 what I've gained after all of this yeah yeah that's that's really good you mentioned a toolkit of of mm-hmm. resources that you can utilize what are some of the things that you do to help with your anxiety and depression okay yeah definitely and I know it's something you do too like meditation 
Um, yeah, I love I, meditation. Yeah, I pre- so okay. I have, to, I have to say, I probably cheat a little bit. I don't necessarily where they say make sure you're in a seated position. I'm not always in a seated position. Okay, well, that's fine. But that's it, right? It's still it's it's the mental aspect of it, right? Yeah. And 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 you'll always hear people talk about meditation as practice because you're practicing. So when you said like I did it wrong, right? It's like well that you're practicing, right? So this <laughs> that's is your fair. practice. It has to become perfect. See, now I say that and it scares me because doctors also call their work practice. So (laughs) (laughs) that just goes to show you we're all always practicing. No one is perfect. But meditation, I personally, and again, uh, no affiliation, but I have some apps that I I use. Like, Like there's the Calm app, there's Insight Timer, there's Headspace. There are so many out there that uh, have a lot of free content as well as paid content. And some of them will have like a daily meditation for 10 minutes. Sometimes I'm following it and doing the breathing that they're saying. Sometimes I am not. And it's just someone talking in my ear really calmly. And I like it. And it's it's 10 minutes. Uh, sometimes I get to do it in the morning. Sometimes it's right before work. Sometimes it's at the end of the night. It's just kind of nice to, even if you're not doing the actual labor of meditating, to hear the perspective on certain topics, right? Sometimes like it's just very timely. In my toolkit, doing the group programs at the hospital was really, really beneficial, but it's definitely something useful to look into. Art therapy surprised me in how much I enjoyed it. So yeah, I tried to incorporate that into life now as well. So art therapy, literally, it, it wasn't about, the product, the output of your art, it was about the process of your art. And there was no one telling you that it was right or wrong. They might just have asked us to explain what it meant to us or why why we did what we did. And it's like, that's great. There was no so that went on for a couple of for a couple of weeks and that was really good. I've downloaded an app called Pigment where every day you can download a free a coloring thing. I'm not paying for it. And uh, I mean, I'm not affiliated, but yeah, so that on my iPad, you can download it on your phone, depending on what phone you have. And like, I'll do some coloring. Of course, the perfectionist in me is focusing on the output, but sometimes I don't (laughs) even finish a picture. Like there's one right now I started and I'm like, I don't feel like coloring the rest of this because like, I just don't. But the, the, that piece in that five, 10 minutes I spent coloring in it, like just taking that time out for yourself. As part of mindfulness, we did some retreats that was very helpful like a mindfulness retreat so a silent retreat uh, was just for a day and they incorporated yoga so there was yoga therapy so not just yoga but yoga therapy so this instructor like the way that she incorporated movements like like gradually from the floor up to standing and back to your knees back to the floor breathing techniques specifically to help with anxiety that was really really good I enjoyed that a lot and just a whole day of not talking and mindful eating and just like really just kind of getting into your head for someone who's anxious usually to be in that space where like you don't have to worry about anything like you're just here right now and you're just observing everything like does wonders for for your mind so if you can find something like that I highly recommend yeah and, it's being um, present right like, yeah you know. and that's what mindfulness is right being present like so yeah very interesting stuff there's so much like the occupational therapist when I was off work that was helpful my my psychologist always like giving me tools and 
and and when I say tools, this is like things to like. So it was co- cognitive behavioral therapy, which also they offer. I know at least at my local hospital in the group setting as well. But COVID came before I was able to do that. But challenging your thoughts, right? Especially if you're someone mm-hmm. who gets anxious or has anxiety, that's that's important. That's the main thing, right? Because you're worrying or you have fears of things. So challenging those fears as in, okay, if you're worried about this happening, if this happens, what will that mean for you, right? So where I was worrying about, let's say my job, uh, it's like, okay, what happens if you don't hit your goals? Okay, well, first they would have to talk to me about it, then they might have to do this, and then you can be fired. What's the timeline? Okay, so you have six months before you could potentially be out of a job. So little things like that, and then remembering what can you do in the meantime. So a lot of just strategies to to push back against the stuff going on in your yeah, mind. Yeah, to combat your mind. Yeah. yeah, yeah, because you're literally fighting, you're struggling with your mind. Like it's, yep. it's mortal combat. It's a battle, yeah. So yeah, and let me see. That Honestly, there are a lot of things. I'm extremely lucky to have been able to do the things that I've done. And like I said, that's why I say like, would I wish this on anyone? No. But if you are in this situation and end up having to go through it, like what you come out of with it is incredible. Mm-hmm. That's my, yeah. my, my toolbox is quite large. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's some great advice and some resources and information. For sure, some of the things you reference are specific to where we live in Canada. But, you know, I'm sure if you look deeper, there's probably stuff in your area or province state wherever you live so just do some digging and honestly everybody's toolkit is going to be different there's a lot of trial and error as you mentioned so don't be afraid to try things out you know if it doesn't work out it doesn't work out right then just try something else don't ever feel like you're defeated by any means Mm -hmm. when things don't work out the way you want it so and just knowing that it takes time to find the right mixture oh yeah of course because toolkit my toolkit is also the meds like it's it's everything working together right the medication kind of gave me the the pickup that I needed to get the motivation to do all the work so it's like it it, sometimes it's not one without the other but it's definitely never one alone so yeah Mm -hmm. definitely you got to do a little bit of 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 digging yeah yeah so the last question I really wanted to ask you is what is your stance on mental health now? Obviously, your journey started since you were in grade six or seven. But how do you view mental health now compared to when your journey first started? Mental health, like aside from your your physical health, is the most important thing. And I'm definitely more sensitive to it a, in myself, but also with other people. So, for example, if I see a conversation happening between people and I'm based on the words that are being used or just the feel of it, I'm like, uh, that could affect that person negatively. I'll probably step in and give my two cents. It's it's just like I'm I'm just hyper aware of it now. Right. When it comes to uh, children, I'm I'm always looking out for how these things could affect them mentally and just yeah it's like top of mind all the time because at the end of the day like if you don't have your health you you don't have anything you can work Mm -hmm. yourself to the ground for a company but if you get sick that company will replace you right so if you don't have health what are you going to do and it's like it's one thing 
again, physical health, because you can see it, it tends to be easiest to deal with. I've literally had people say to me, sometimes I wish that I had something wrong with me physically so people would understand. I think I've said that before. You said that to me. <laughs> I think I've, I've had another friend say it to me. And it's just so sad because it's like your mind is what allows your body to even move. Yep. So the fact that people put more stock in this thing that's transporting your mind than your mind itself is is scary. It's terrifying, right? So it's so important. And it's like I always say, like, you, yes, you have sick days. If you're not mentally well, you are sick. So you're, it's a mental health day. Call it what it is. You, your job might not specifically allocate mental health days, but that's what your sick days are for. You have to make sure that you are well before you can effectively do your job, before you can help anyone else, even your family. So sometimes I've been in a situation actually over the last bit where protecting my mental health meant taking a job which was a pay cut and mentally I'm better for it sure financially it's tight and that causes its own mental anguish but overall net mental health I'm Mm -hmm. better right so so you you kind of have to pick and choose which thing will affect you more and do what you can to be on the side where your mental health is a bit better so that's my stance on it and just talk to someone like you yeah, your health is what you have. So if you're not feeling your best or operating at your best, then it'll always be a struggle. And everyone says like, oh, I don't have time for this or I'll deal with this another time. Like, what are you waiting for? Right. Because you don't know how much time you have. And like you hear stories of people who who die young, but have lived their life so fully versus people who've made it to the end but they were miserable the whole time or Mm -hmm. you know not comfortable or this so it's like actually like live your life because you're saving it for something that's not guaranteed so just you you have to take care of your mental health absolutely yeah that's that's a great point there Keisha I guess the last thing the last last thing is like to conclude this this episode is there anything else you want to address or share with our audience regarding mental health and your journey? I guess the last thing I'd want to address is that your journey is yours. It Yours will not look identical to anyone else's. And you can, you can also find help in, in strange places. So, and when I say that, I don't mean like black market <laughs> underground <laughs> things, but I not. mean like you, you can, things can resonate with someone who's not even going the exact same things as you. So I've learned a lot of people who struggle with anxiety and depression have a lot in common with people who struggle with physical pain. And mm-hmm. I've had some physical pain recently as well. But even before that, I, I was aware of this because of one of the group classes I did and some of the people in attendance there, right? So trying to reach out to people to to share or speak with, even if they don't have the exact same situation as you, you never know how it can affect someone's life. And also if you feel like someone might be struggling to reach out to them and just, you know, if there's something that you think you can offer to give them some more peace, you never know how it could affect them because they might not even realize that they're struggling, but you reaching out and 
saying something like, hey, like, I noticed that you were a little upset after this. Like, is everything okay? Do you want to talk about anything? Just knowing that someone cares is super helpful. You you do what you feel comfortable with as long as you're safe, of course. You have to feel happy with the decisions that you make. That's one thing, like, I don't really have a lot of regrets with, like, even my relationship situation because I did what I needed to do so that I felt comfortable. And the last, last thing that I want to say, and this will probably be a topic for another episode, but having anxiety and depression in a child is hard. Okay, so yeah, I can imagine. Give it. yourself some grace. Yeah, because having a child like on its own as a two-parent family yeah. is hard. So being a single parent with a child with mental health issues is very, very difficult, but you can do it. So give yourself some grace. That's what I've learned. And again, people that you need to reach out to for help do not have to be people with the exact same situation as you. Nancy, you're one of the people that I reached out to to for help over the years before you had any mental health struggle of your own. You don't have children, you know, all of completely opposites, I guess you could say in terms of our life setup. And you've Mm -hmm. still been a tremendous help to me. So don't be afraid to connect with people to get the help that you need. Yeah, I think no two stories are the same. And I really appreciate you being so candid about your journey. That's pretty much it for today's episode. Thank you guys so much for listening. And just remember to be kind to to other people and yourself as well. Be courageous and we will see you guys in our next episode. Bye. Bye.